Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the world right now. I'm so excited about our guest today, Ben Riggs. Ben Riggs is a retired US Navy pilot and shares his knowledge of spiritually transformative experiences or STEs. In the military, NDEs, UFOs, STEs and reincarnation were usually only quietly and privately talked about. After years of research today, Ben shares his findings. Ben Riggs is co-founder of the Rhode Island Irons Group and teaches a course called What Happens When We Die. This is his story and this is his passion. Ben Riggs, welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you for having me. You have a very interesting program that covers an awful lot of ground. Well, from Um, all your research, um, if you wouldn't mind just putting in simple terms for the audience, how would you define consciousness? Well, consciousness um, can't be measured, weighed, photographed, you know, um, the way you do in material science. But it's hard to do that with gravity, too. Consciousness is, is, is another dimension. Um, it's not an, it's not a, it's not a part of our existing physical dimension. And so consciousness to me, as I've learned over the years from my wife, who was an experiencer who had a very interesting NDE, and from the hundreds of people I have met from being involved with IONS and other groups and running the NDE group here in Newport for the last six or seven years. I've heard enough to believe that consciousness is is something that exists separately that's part of the oneness of the universe and it occupies physical bodies while they're on earth the same way a driver occupies a car in a way in other words you could do things together that neither of you could do by yourselves we've just come to understand that this consciousness is something that occupies your brain and your brain operates like a tv set the TV set does not create the show you're watching, and you won't find the actors hidden inside the back of it. Um, it's passing through the air, and you can't see it, but it's being grabbed by this device that has been created to process it so that you can see it and hear it. And I believe that our brains do that. Part of our brains um, have their own operating system, which is things like food, sex, sleep, protection, things that keep the human being alive and pass Darwin's test for survival. But the rest of it are all the other things that we're talking about now. And those things exist, including identity, who you are, as well as being a part of something greater. Those those were here before you occupied your body, and they're still around after your body's gone. I think I think we have enough preponderance of the evidence to show that that's the case. 
Well, thank you for explaining that so well. And I mentioned in your introduction that you uh, work work or co-founded IANS and you teach a course called What Happens When We Die? What happens when we die? Or I should say when our physical body dies. Okay. Well, I think... <clears throat> I think there is a, a filter in your brain that filters out, you know, 99% of what's passing through it. Um, cosmic knowledge and, 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 you know, incredible things that your consciousness is capable of. But we as humans, we can't operate at that speed. If everything's already happened in a billionth of a second and we're, you know, it's we, we, we can't keep up with that. So, we're living in a slow motion created by filter in our brains. And that filter goes away when your brain stops functioning. And once the filter goes away, it releases your consciousness from the limitations of your body. And you step out of that car that broke down and now you're like Superman and you can fly away, but you do it in a, in a, into another dimension. And that's when you discover that this is, wasn't your home, it was an assignment, and you're going back home, and you have an understanding of the entire universe in the sense that you're part of it, it's part of you, and that it is, it is a loving, comforting, inclusive, non-judgmental thing that you belong to somehow, and there's no head and there's no tail to it. And you, you suddenly have this incredible view of uh, what is this world all about or what, why am I in it and why is everybody suffering and what's going on back there on Earth? And, and that's what we talk about. I think, I think the demographics of the groups that I teach are mostly people over 60 in, in um, you know, lifelong learning programs and so forth. Their interest is you know what happens to me when I die, yeah. but by then they've by then they've lost some very very loved close people, and they want to know what happened when they died, and are they still there? Do they know if I'm okay? How do I know if they're okay wherever they are now? I find that's one of the greatest things, particularly somebody who's lost a child. They will come into my group and they and they will say, I want to know if she's okay, because she's somewhere. And so those, those are the first two reasons that I think they come. I think the other part about looking at the world as a whole and reincarnation and the evolution of mankind come later. For those that uh, un are unable to uh, connect with loved ones um, and sure the suffering is greater, what would you say to them? I say to them that they can see you and if it's right, you'll be able to see them. They're just fine. You will be too when it's your time. And, and um, in the meantime, that doesn't mean you're not supposed to miss their being here now physically. You absolutely should and could and will. And it's better for you to, um, Take your grieving as it comes. Everybody grieves differently. Some people are back on their feet in a, in a month, and some people it takes a year. Don't hold a stopwatch up. 
don't let anybody tell you to hurry up and grieve. It's a process you have to go through, which is not having that person with you now. But remember, you do have something in the future where you will see them again. The part of you that matters will see them again. And I, and I think that's, that's all we could do. It's not something that I had growing up. Um, um, when I was five, I watched as my mother went racing down to the, to the river and my two older brothers had broken through the ice and they drowned. I'm sorry. And I don't think I'm over that today. And why was I spared? And what am I here for? And um, that was something that hung over on me. And my grieving took decades. And my mother, God knows how she got through that. Mm. Um, but she did. She had two more children. Gosh, I mean, um, yes, the suffering that we can endure in our consciousness or our soul and our human form can be quite significant. Well, they can. And, and um, you know, my father was a psychiatrist and he's supposed to know how to deal with these things. And um, when it came down to happening in his life, <laughs> it wasn't quite so easy. Um, but I think he fared better than my mother did. So I think, I think that part of life is extremely difficult for all of us, and that's okay. Um, if it was all easy, we'd probably be bored and break ourselves to death. So. Maybe. I mean, look, there's one thing for absolute certain that we are all going to transition to die at some point in time. Yes. And, it happens and to all of us. It happens to all of us and we never seem to know why or when, you know, why did that person get struck by lightning and I was standing over here and I didn't. Okay, is that chance or is that part of some greater plan? And, and I think we believe there is a plan because people who have had NDEs have had the opportunity to talk about the plan and the fact that the plan does not call for them to die right now, they're gonna to have to go back and finish what they started. And as we know, in most cases, people don't want to go back. I don't care how happy their life is back on Earth. They don't want to go back. Um, I'd like to move on to an exciting topic, and I know you've done quite a bit of research on this, um, spiritually mm -hmm. transformative experiences in the military. I'm just going to leave yeah. this one wide open for you to chat about whatever you feel called to. Well, I started out as a skeptic on that um and and um i mean the, the, i remember in my earlier days before i was flying a single engine jet of a carrier i was a navigator on a, on a c-130 that was doing some hush hush stuff experimenting with various things and and uh, we were in a restricted area i remember uh, between the U.S. and Puerto Rico, I guess you would say in the, you know, the Bermuda Triangle. And this is back when Pan Am was still in business, and, and um, one of their jets had taken a shortcut to San Juan through our restricted area. We were up around 30,000 feet and, and uh, 28,000, something like that. That's about all we could get up to. 
and and the pilots radioed in that a flying saucer just went right back across in front of them at a high rate of speed and it was definitely a flying saucer it was cone shaped it had no visible means of support and it woo, off it went well we kind of chuckled because we were the ones controlling that thing <laughs> so and those pilots were telling their grandchildren today that they saw an alien craft okay mm -hmm. so we knew that one wasn't true and there were others but then we had other things pop, pop up where we couldn't explain it um one of my one of my colleagues had tracked a, a on an early warning plane had tracked a, a target going across his scope at 4400 miles an hour we don't have anything that goes that fast 4400 miles an hour and when he reported it um the first thing they did was send him to see the shrink. And after they determined, well, it seems to be okay, you know, um, they asked him a bit about it, said, okay, well, just, you don't need to write it down anywhere or report the incident, you know, we'll, we'll take it from here. That was the end of it. And the culture was, if it's something that upsets our, 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 our uh, sense of, of of security. I don't know if I would call it security, it's it, but it's unsettling to our world as we perceive it. And a, another dimension is unsettling, if you want to be unsettled. Doesn't unsettle me, I think it's great, but you know, for, for many, then I can see that that's something that you would cover up and you know, you would bury it. Um, but then, you know, I find out, you know, years later that there have been other things that took place and, and you know, you know, one was, you know, everybody talks about the incident in Roswell because, you know, there's the conspiracy theorists and then there are people say it's, you know, no such thing ever happened where a spacecraft crashed and crashed there. And it happened. And again, you can talk about synchronicity or what you will, but there was a man who was my, one of the professors that I had teaching courses to people, you know, in the senior group. And I and I, I knew this guy for 15 years. He's a PhD, and he used to be a director of the Los Alamos National Laboratory, which is where we do our atomic weapons research. And and he found out I was teaching this course. I said, "What is this all about?" And I told him at lunch one day that you know this is what it's all about. He says, "I had one of those." And next thing we know, find out his story, which is he had a heart attack on a on a ski lift, which is very, you know, a poor place to have a heart attack and, you know, extremely inconvenient. And at any rate, he died on the way to the hospital and he had his NDE. And he said that I've never really talked to anybody about this before, but you actually have a group that talks about it. So, so in the course of all this, it turned out that his roommate in the cardiac unit at the hospital later contacted him after they got released in the hospital and they went to lunch and his roommate said, you know, I was a deputy sheriff right there at Roswell with this, you know, when, you know, the same place you were at. He says, you know, I've never told anybody this story in my life. But he says, I was there when it happened. I was the first one on the scene. And he said, I called for backup and other sheriff's department people and police showed up. The next thing we knew, there were a bunch of military people there. 
And they said, get the hell out of here. And we said, no, this is in our jurisdiction. They said, no, you get the hell out of here. And um, they had more people and more guns than we did. So we decided, okay. And they said to us, if you ever breathe a word of this to anyone, you and your families will disappear. And um, he decided he'd stay behind and hide in the bushes. And he did. Oh, my God. And he saw them. And he saw four different people being taken out on stretchers and they were still alive and in pain or something moving about. And they took four of them out of there. And so that's that story. Were they, were they, now, did he identify them as humans? Did they look like humans? No, or? they were smaller and they didn't, they were smaller and they were different. They were totally different. They so different. he definitely stated that they were extraterrestrials. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so, okay, now that's an interesting story. I always look for some kind of an independent confirmation. Well, it turns out that the vice president of IONS, and I were talking about it, which is the National Association of Indigenous Studies, for those of that now, and, and he's a retired California highway patrolman who uh, ended up with an NDE, and is now sort of part of our group of woo-woo people. And he said, you know, I have a friend who was a Navy SEAL, which is, of course, their, you know, their first on the line combat SWAT team type people who was on the scene and in charge or at least of his group and he was there and he said yes there were four people and uh, they were being carried off and we were told if any of us there in the military ever told a soul including our spouses that we and our families would disappear same words interesting and he and that deputy sheriff didn't know each other. Okay, so that corroborates the story. Now, what happened after that, we don't know. Um, so so uh, it's, it's uh, possible they lived on. It's, you know, the rumors that they met, one of them met with Eisenhower in the middle of the night, you know, at Edwards Air Force Base. If you ever heard that story, there's no way to confirm it. Uh, you know, if you if you give up your nukes, which are going to disturb the balance of the universe, if a whole bunch of them go off at the same time, if you're willing to give them up, we'll give you our technology and our spiritual wisdom. So many, um, there's so many theories and stories. What's your thoughts on life in other on other planets in other dimensions? I'm particularly referring to extraterrestrials that we're talking about or UFOs. I think that if you if you look at the size of the universe, if you can even contemplate it, and the mathematical possibilities, um, chances are that there is intelligent life, in, other than ours in the universe, is far greater than that there is not. Uh, that that life exists. It's not necessarily just like us. When our NASA people get excited, they find some planet and say, well, let's see, does it have oxygen or does it have water? Because that's what you need to sustain life. I always laugh and say, what makes them think that everything in the 
universe needs oxygen and water to be alive. You know, they're not people like us. They could even be people that are in another dimension. They could even be in a parallel universe. Who the hell knows? Um, so, anything's uh, possible. I, I always say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it is anything possible because of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned now that you're you running irons and you're a bit woo woo, as you called it yourself. Um, mm. Have you had people, former colleagues from the military, come to you talking either about UFOs or any of their own personal transformative, spiritually transformative experiences? Yes, some have had out of bodies, um, um, usually in conjunction with a trauma, you know, um, a near miss crash or, you know, something like that, where they actually went outside of their bodies, um, didn't talk about it. I, I know military people who have had problems because their wife had one. You know, one of my colleagues at the Naval Reserves, um, uh, he was an engineering officer. Is he got divorced? And we were asking him why. How come you know your wife and your daughter? I thought you were really close to them. Everything was great. And he said, "Well, you know, when she had that stroke and she almost died. Um, ever since then, she hasn't been the same. She's been a total nutcase. I mean, she's got this like a vision of the world. She's she's not accepting any kind of materialism. She thinks everything's built on love and blah blah blah." And uh, this isn't the woman I married. I don't know what's happened to her, but I just can't relate to her anymore. And she can't relate to me. So we're getting divorced. Very common after a near-death experience and very common that f family members have said they're just not the same person when they returned to yeah. life. Why are you so, I'm just interested, why are you, I mean, you're doing wonderful, wonderful work and alleviating so much fear, but why are you passionate about um NDEs and helping other people about life after death and what happens when we die. What motivates you? Well, having um, certainly having been around it, starting at the age of five. Um, but I think because there are a lot of ways that you could give back. If you've had a life like I have and my wife has, and where we believe we must have been in the same soul group and we must have been here before. Um, and we were here for a reason. Um, there are a lot of ways you could give, and I think the worst is, and the least effective is money. It just goes into the same hole. And, and you know, we've seen that around the world. It doesn't seem to make anybody better off. Results may be in more people who aren't better off. <laughs> That's about it. Or, or it's bad. It's a band-aid approach. Um, if we're going to to leave something behind, um, I think it's the one of the better things you can leave behind is something that makes people feel more like themselves and not the person they think they ought to be and that they are at peace with the fact that they're going to transition just like those before them and those after. I think both of those things are very important um, in terms of people's happiness on the planet, 
the way they treat each other and and more importantly the way they treat themselves and i i um I remember once we were a family that always had a dinner around the dinner table formally every night and you know all five of us and I remember when I was about 16 or so 16 is an age where you know you're really quite omniscient you, you really understand everything there is in the world and you can always reduce it to a single sentence which your parents always called a one-liner <laughs> so anyway I had that massive ability when I was 16 and I turned to my father one night and said dad he being a psychiatrist, since we all know people don't change, what is it exactly you try to do with your patients? And there was silence in the room, and my mother looked at the ceiling like, oh, God, he's going to get sent to his room again. But my father thought for a moment, and then he said, well, I don't, like to, I don't try to change anyone. I just try to increase the ratio of their voluntary actions to their involuntary ones. Hmm, good answer. Yes, and I, that that stuck with me as, you know, okay, accepting the person the way they are, and he wants them to do the same. And I think if you can leave the world a little bit better than you found it, that that's really your job when you're here. And I think this is one way to leave it. And I do think there is some sort of Maharaji effect where you see there's a ripple effect where you do the tiniest little thing and you find out three years later, you know, that one day when you said something to me, boy, did that make a difference in my life? I said, what? But it's true. The tiniest things that you do can have a ripple effect that add to making the world a better place and people in it feeling that sense. Um, and, and I think that's why people gravitate towards the research that, that, that uh, um, you know, was, was done by uh, um, Sheldrake, who, who did his experiments with rats and their consciousness and swimming through mazes and find out that that consciousness went from his rats, which took 20 tries to get through the maze. Once they learned, so did the rats in Scotland and so did the rats in Australia at the same time. Now, how the hell did that happen? Amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, amazing consciousness. And how do you have things like entanglement where you could split a proton, take it thousands of miles away and you turn one half here and watch the other one turn there at the same time. They're connected. And we don't understand how it works. But we don't need to. And so I, I think sharing that with people, even if you only reach 10 or 20% of them, makes it very effective. You even reach one of them is worthwhile. Well, that's what I always say, even if this episode helps one person, my job is done. So I absolutely agree yeah. with you. <laughs> ben, I've asked yeah. all the questions. Is there something you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience that I haven't asked you? Um, I suppose I, I would just add that, you know, people's ability to withstand trauma 
is 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 very very different from person to person um and in the culture we were in we had an had a number of friends who were shot down over north vietnam and they were pow's and they went through years of torture and then not knowing if they'd ever be free again and i and i and i and i spent a fair amount of time with a number of them afterwards as well as reading debriefs from them and regardless of their backgrounds, they withstood that incredibly well, and they came out of it incredibly well. And a lot of them stayed in the Navy and continued to serve until their retirement. Others didn't. But they, um, their spouses didn't deal well with having somebody come back five years later. You know, but I mean, they did and they didn't, you know, because they had become independent or maybe worse, they were with someone else. But I, I think I think the fact that they came out of it being more spiritual, and I knew several who, who were that way. You could sense it when you walked in the room or when you sat and talked to them about anything. Um, we had, I think, two commanders who were commanding squadrons on my ship, and, and they they were the ones who would go out of their way and come down to where I was and say, "Thank you for doing a good job," or you know, or you know, uh, things like that that other people wouldn't bother to do. And, and you know, they were that kind of people. Um, and and they, um, they were POWs, prisoners of war. POWs for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think um, that shows that there's an incredible resilience, um, and that love can come out of it instead of anger. And and I think that's something that we can all share in, and we can all help spread around and keep our minds open. Well, what a great way to end the show, Bed Riggs. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. You've really offered so much well, to the you. audience. And I just want to again say thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Bye. Bye then. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, Every day, may you be more and more passionate.